Let's pray. Father, we just want to just stay in your presence. And Lord, as we've been singing this morning, make me a vessel. God, that's what I'm asking this morning, that God, you just flow through us. You just touch us, you'd encourage us, you'd draw us close to yourself and you'd challenge us. And we just ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Zechariah 4 verse 6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord Almighty. In 1983, I was doing an environmental research project uh, which took me to many different countries. This was before the internet. And so when you wanted to research stuff, you had to actually go there uh, rather than just look it up online. <clears throat> and I travelled extensively through northern uh, United States of America. And one of the places that I flew over, but I would just have loved to have visited, but didn't have time, was Northampton, Massachusetts. <clears throat> this is where David Brainard died and was buried. <clears throat> Excuse me. On his grave stands a uh, simple stone slab which reads, Sacred to the memory of David Brainard, the faithful, devoted missionary to the Sasanqua, Delaware, and Stockbridge Indians of North America who died in this town October 8, 1717. Uh, David Brainard, if any of you have read his biography, uh, will know that he not only had an effect on the North American Indians, but he had a profound effect on many missionaries and revivalists through the word, uh, through the world. Uh, John Wesley, speaking at one of the early Methodist conferences, for instance, uh, said, what can be done to revive the work of God where it is decayed? Let every preacher read carefully the life of David Brainard. William Carey, uh, followed Wesley's advice, and through reading Brainard's life, he was inspired to do great things in India. Thank you, Isaac. So I asked myself, what was it about Brainard's life? Uh, he was... That, that just held him in such acclaim. It, it certainly wasn't his length of life because he died of tuberculosis age 30. It wasn't his preaching. He did most of his preaching through interpreters. He couldn't even speak the language of the people that he was trying to reach. Uh, once he preached through a drunken interpreter, a man so intoxicated that he could hardly stand up, uh, yet many people were converted through that sermon. It wasn't his work amongst the Indians. Historians tell us that probably only 40 to 50 uh, Indians actually got saved. What set Brainard apart from everybody else was his life of prayer. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, the great revivalist who nursed Brainard during his final months, said, I praise God that it was in his providence that he should die at my house, that I might hear his prayers and that I might witness his consecration and that I might be inspired by his example. Uh, the great 
uh, 20th century mission, missionary statesman uh, and evangelist, Oswald J. Smith, wrote, So greatly was I influenced by the life of David Brainard in the early years of my ministry that I named my youngest son after him. It was Brainard who taught me to fast and pray. I learned that greater things could be wrought by daily prayer than by preaching. You see, while it's a privilege, an absolute privilege to be called to preach the word of God, there's no greater calling than the call to prayer and an intimate relationship with our God. It's not by might, it's not by power, but by God's spirit the breakthrough happens, that people are saved and set free, that miracle healings take place, that we laid hold on the promises of God. All of us want to progress in life and be successful in life and in our relationship with God. And the number one biblical key to advancement, to growth, to breakthrough and success in life is prayer. In fact, prayer is not an optional extra. It's absolutely essential. You cannot live the Christian life without it. It's, it's actually not that difficult. To the non-prayer it might seem like a hard chore, but actually, actually, it's, it's not. It, it reminds me of a bunch of mottling old beans, in fact. Uh, Zena Thorburn, when she first came to the church, I don't know how many years ago that was, gave me a bunch of her beans. And if any of you have ever seen any of Zena's beans, they are greeny, purpley, motley, ugly-looking things. Anyway, I didn't know Zena very well, so I, but I took this bunch of um, beans home, and I was going to throw them out because they looked so terrible. And then I thought, oh, no. Zena is going to ask me next week what I thought of her beans. And I thought, I'm either going to have to lie to her or I'm going to have to actually try these beans. So I chose to try them. They were the nicest beans I have ever had. In fact, for years and years and years, I would get the seeds of Zena's runner beans and uh, plant them in my own garden. They were so, so, so good. Taste and see. Taste and see. Have a go. Have a go. If you're not a prayer, taste and see that the Lord is good. You'll find once you establish a habit of regular daily prayers, uh, not only will you notice a tangible change in your life, but you will find that you will hunger and you will thirst for that time alone with God. But you've got to take, make the effort to actually taste. You've got to make the effort to actually try and see what will happen. When Jesus was facing one of the most challenging times of his life, just before he's arrested, and then a few days later goes to the cross, he gathers his disciples, and he goes to Gethsemane, which is a garden at the foot of the Mount of Olives, and he goes there to pray. And we read this account in Matthew 26, and it says this, Then... 
Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with them, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And he went away a second time. And prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus describes Peter, James, and John as his friends. He says, I, 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 call you, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. They were his inner circle. They were the ones more than any others that he shared his life with. Peter, James, and John were the ones that he took up with him up into the Mount of Transfiguration. But the one time he really needed their support and encouragement, they fell asleep. And they missed the opportunity. Not once, but three times. I mean, when you think about it, how how could they do that at such an important time. And Jesus said to them, could you not keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Uh, Right now, what's Jesus doing? He's sitting at the right hand of God and he's praying He's interceding for you and I. He's interceding for the church. He's interceding for the lost. And yet, his church is largely asleep. The cry of Jesus' words, could you not keep watch with me for one hour, should shake us, should catapult us into action because Jesus wants to spend time with us every day. His presence and his power with you will change your life. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Many here this morning have problems. Uh, Some seemingly insurmountable problems. But problems just show us that we weren't meant to live life without God. Because what is impossible for us is possible to God. But the key to that intimacy with God and releasing his power into your life is to wait on him and to watch with him and to pray. So 
What does that hour look like? Well, for me, that time, which can be different each day, mainly consists of reading and meditating on God's Word, just waiting on God, soaking in His refreshing presence, and then lastly, praying. Uh, when I wait on God, not only do I sense His presence, but I get an idea and sometimes a burden of areas that I need to pray or into or inquire about or, or warfare in the Spirit. And there are two things that Satan will oppose you and attack you in and try to stop you more than anything else in your life. And that is you're establishing a regular prayer life and a regular time of reading God's Word. But the good news is the one who's in you is greater than the one who's in the world. A regular time with God doesn't just happen. Uh, it has to be planned, and it takes discipline. They say the three steps on anything are desire, discipline, and then delight. And so if you want to get your desire, you've got to go through that phase of discipline. And uh, usually to establish a habit, if you can do anything for three weeks in a row, you will have established a habit for life. So those of you who aren't prayers, I challenge you to get up a little bit earlier in the morning. I mean, there's 24 hours in a day. We spend seven or eight hours sleeping. We spend seven or eight or nine or ten or twelve hours working. What about establishing one hour a day with the one who made you? the one who has your eternity in his hand. I reckon one twenty-fourth of a day is a huge, worthwhile investment. And if you're not used to doing that, start with 30 minutes. Just set aside 30 minutes. Uh, Jesus said to his friends, keep watch with me. See, we need to be alert and to watch what's happening in the spirit and watch what Jesus is doing. Uh, that, is, that is so important. We can put a lot of time and a lot of effort into things that aren't going to be productive for eternity. But also, in the things in terms of kingdom life, there are lots of things that we could be doing. There are lots of areas that you could be involved in. But you need to be watching what Jesus is doing and following that. Following that for you. I, that is so important. I believe that this year, 2020, is going to be a year of breakthrough and a year of new beginnings. Uh, this year, it seems at the beginning of this year that Jesus is calling his church to watch and pray. Uh, by the way, thank you so much, all of you who joined with us at the Open Heaven Prayer event uh, last Wednesday. Uh, we had at least 460 people at that event. So by my reckoning, that's the largest prayer meeting we've ever had in Whangarei in the 25 years that I've been in the city. 
So that was absolutely, absolutely uh, significant. Uh, also, I have most of the major churches in Whangarei now committed to our combined churches prayer meeting on the last Sunday of the month. And by the way, um, that's coming up in Central Baptist on the 23rd of February. I think that's the last Sunday. But most of the larger churches in the city now are committed. Elam is committed for the first time. Uh, Bethel is committed for the first time. Renew is committed for the first time. Uh, Central Baptist has always been committed. We've always been committed. So most of the large churches are now committed. Oh, C3 is now committed uh, to come along. So, so they're going to be fantastic. So book that up in your diaries. Last Sunday of the month uh, from 6.30 to 8 p.m. in the evening uh, is the combined churches um, prayer meeting. Uh, I'm, I am convinced that the spiritual climate in our city is going to change. Uh, I mean, when God, when people gather together in unity, Psalm 133 promises that where people gather in unity, God commands the blessing. God commands the blessing. You know, as a city, as a region, we've been known in the past for drunkenness. We've been known for lawlessness. We've been known for drug addiction. We've been known for family violence. We've been known as the suicide capital of New Zealand. No more. God is on the move. He is changing the climate of our city. He is responding to the prayers and the efforts of his people to get together in unity. You know, there's, if you've ever seen a tug of war, if you've ever been involved in a tug of war, uh, you'll know that two sides are holding on to that piece of rope and they start off and hardly anything happens. Then one side might get a little, little bit to one side then there'll be another side. But those of you who have been involved in a tug of war will know that there is actually a tipping point. There is a point in that struggle where one side will take an inch, and then they'll take another inch, and then they'll take another inch. At that tipping point, that is not the time to back off. That's not the time to say, hey, we've... We've taken a little bit of ground. Uh, now we're just going to have a little bit of a breather. That's not the time. At the point of the tipping point is the time to give it everything you've got, to absolutely go for it, to absolutely give 110, 120%. You know, at the beginning of this year, we are at the tipping point. We're at the tipping point in changing the spiritual climate of our city, and we need to go for it. Um, Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not about your neighbor. It's not about the guy down the road who's parked his car in front of your driveway. It's not about those people who have let you down. Our struggle is against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. 
And because it's against these things, the way that we battle, the way that we do our warfare is different. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, the weapons that we have have divine power to demolish strongholds. It's not by power, it's not by might, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And God's spirit is released in response to the heartfelt cries of his people. We fight in prayer with power and the authority of the Holy Spirit And it's a time to increase our effort. So weekly intercessors prayer meetings at 6.30 a.m. have started. Our Thursday night, 7.30 to 8.30 prayer meeting starts this Thursday. And we're going to start 21 days of prayer and fasting on February the 24th as we watch and pray into what Jesus is doing and wanting to do in our city. And we'll have little leaflets out there for you to teach you a little bit more about fasting. We'll have a prayer calendar there so you'll know what to pray for over those 21 days. It's no coincidence that Steiger uh, had a month of prayer and fasting in January, and they saw so many things change that they've extended that prayer and fasting into February. You know, God is calling his people to press in like never before and to see a breakthrough like never before because prayer drives back the enemy and stops his activities. Apart from building up your intimacy with God, if you or your family is under attack or need a breakthrough, then you need to pray. And sometimes we just don't know what or how to pray And that's where your heavenly language of tongues comes in. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I remember well being at an AOG executive uh, retreat with the Australian AOG executive. We were at Broadhurst Beach. Uh, in Aussie, we were on the 16th floor of a hotel. I woke up in the middle of the night, and it was like I was just gripped by a spirit of fear. And this thing was absolutely just stifling, stifling, stifling. And the word that came to me is, why don't you walk out on the balcony and jump? And it was just so, so, so oppressive. Some of you know what an oppressive spirit like that is like. What could I do? I couldn't get words out, but I could pray in tongues. So I just began to pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit. And that thing broke. Complete peace just flooded the room. And whatever it was that was causing that left. In 2 Chronicles 20, we read how Three armies were coming to attack Judah, Jehoshaphat. So the first thing that King Jehoshaphat does is pray. And then he calls the nation to a fast. And we can't call New Zealand to a fast, but we can fast on behalf of our nation. Because God says, if my people, if my people... 
If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. So the land is going to be healed as a result of God's people praying. Joshua got an absolutely amazing, amazing victory. You may not know what to do, but God does. He's just waiting for you to give him permission to intervene in your life and fight on your behalf. And I see lots of grandmothers here and grandfathers. I see lots of people uh, with children, and you need to step in the gap on behalf of your kids. Sometimes your kids get into situations that they haven't got a clue how to get out of. Sometimes when our kids go astray or when our kids are under attack, it's the wise head of the older generation that can stand in the gap and win the victory on their behalf. That's what God is calling us to do. Jesus wants us to pray and keep on praying. Sometimes we just have to keep pressing in because the enemy will be contending. In Daniel 10, Daniel prays and fasts for 21 days for God to give them wisdom and the interpretation of a vision. And at the end of the time, Daniel has an angelic visitation, but the angel told Daniel that God heard Daniel right from the very beginning. However, because there was a demonic attack on God's messenger, the answer didn't come to Daniel for 21 days. Daniel always prayed, not just on special occasions. It was his habit to pray three times a day. No wonder God saved him from the lion's den. People, we need to learn how to pray and keep on praying. And the only way you learn how to pray is you do it. You taste and see. And if you're struggling in that area, get along to a prayer meeting where people can pray. Talk to the prayers in the church. Talk to the people who are intercessors and just ask them. How, take them out for coffee and say, how do you pray? How do you structure your quiet time? Uh, I'm really, really struggling in that area. If you haven't learned to pray the Lord's Prayer, uh, I encourage you to get one of the old books, Larry Lee, Could You Not Tarry One Hour? And just read through it and you'll be really, really helped and sometimes the structure. Because once you have a structure to be able to pray into, then... You can open yourself up to be led more by the spirit than by the structure. But the structure is really good. It's like the wineskin for the new wine. When you've got a structure there, then God can pour the wine into that. So I want to encourage you in that. Get a structure into your prayer life. Prayer works, and the most powerful prayers are corporate prayers. God says, where people operate in unity, he commands the blessing. He says, ask of me, and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance, the very ends of the earth, for your possession. God can melt the hardest heart, but often it starts with a friend's prayer. When our loved ones can't pray, we can, and the church can. Just as the uh, musicians are, are coming up, I'm just going to get Pam Perkins, Perkins up here just to share a couple of te testimonies about prayer. So Pam is one of our life group leaders. In fact, she leads two life groups. And her life groups are good at praying. So where you go, Pam. Hi, everyone. You're going to get tired of seeing me up here. Um, 
went on, spoke to me on Friday and said, would I come and tell of some more things that have happened in the life group? For a moment, I had like a mental blank. I couldn't think of anything because we haven't met for two months nearly now. We started again last week. So I went to our prayer diary that we keep in the group where we write down everything we ask for and the answers as they come. And within a few minutes, I had all these things to share with you. I'm going to do it very briefly, just a few of them, because when I arrived at church today, I heard something amazing from something we prayed about last week, and I'll finish with that. Just to start off, we've learned that God is waiting for us to intercede for other people, because then he can answer our prayers, he can bless them, and he can grow our faith. And that's exactly what he's doing in our group. So here's just a few. He's the one who does it, not us. We simply ask him. We prayed for about two years for a friend of mine for salvation. In November, she came to the Lord. She also has Parkinson's disease. We've been praying for that. And we're waiting expectantly to see God move there too. Some of you may have already heard about Gillian, who at the moment is overseas in London. We prayed for her for over a year for a really bad spinal injury. She was healed at a conference in Switzerland back in January and also healed not just her spine but her knock knees that she'd had from birth. A baby in Holland um, related to people in our group was born very prematurely late last year at 27 weeks and the family asked our group to pray for him. We did this and there was immediately um, good things happening for the baby. But then he, he got worse. His, he had breathing difficulties, went into real problems and they feared that he wouldn't make it. So the group prayed again and the baby recovered. Then he needed surgery, this tiny little premature baby. And we prayed again and he came through the surgery successfully. And the doctors were amazed and they called it a miracle. That little baby is now home with his family. And I have a, a video on my phone of him in his cot, thriving. Somebody had a lot of rats in their ceiling. We prayed and within a few days, the rats were gone. Two men had multiple skin cancers healed on their arms after we prayed. These are just, we had the ovarian cancer healing one of our members. But when I walked into church today, I bumped into one of our life group people. Last week, she brought to us um, a problem with her husband who had been diagnosed with a large tumor. They didn't know what it was, so they're sending him for an MRI this last week. We prayed. We prayed that the tumor would go. We prayed that the MRI would be a really good result. And she told me when I came into church today that when he had the MRI, there was no tumor. So they, they did a second MRI, and there was still no tumor. We have a most amazing God. All we have to do is ask him, and he's the one who does it. Right. <clears throat> a number of years ago, I had uh, the privilege of hearing Dr. Yongi Cho speak at a conference at Takapuna AOG, and he led the largest church in the world at that stage, a congregation of over 800,000 people in Seoul, Korea. And uh, when he was asked what the key to his success was, he simply answered, I pray and I obey. I pray and I obey. A friend of um, mine visited his church and came back with a graph of 
Yongi Cho's church growth. And, and it was interesting that the, the graph of numbers was sort of dwindling along. And then in 1973, the growth of the church just absolutely shot up. It just kept on going sort of exponentially from there. And so I asked my friend, so, so what happened in 1973 to spark this phenomenal growth spurt? And when we looked it up, two things happened in 1973. Number one, Cho released women to lead the home groups. All the guys were too busy. The ladies got in and started to lead the home groups. And secondly, in 1973, Cho built a 24-7 prayer facility called Prayer Mountain. And on those two things, God just blessed. The church exponentially, exponentially grew. Because it took Jesus at his word. When, when Jesus wanted to describe the church, he didn't say it was a house of love. Although love is really important. He didn't say it was to be a house of preaching or a house of praise. Although they are fundamental to our gathering together. No, Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. Cho believed that prayer had to be at the core of the church. And look what happened. If you want to know God, then you've got to pray. If you want victory in your life, God's the answer. So pray. If you need a miracle of healing, God's the answer. So pray. If you want breakthrough, pray. If you want God's blessing, pray. If you want to see the promises of God released in your life, pray. Because God wants to work in and through your life, and He's just waiting for you to give Him permission.